Ladies and gentlemen, welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of the largest and oldest wrestling family on the planet. Listen to what I'm saying. That's right. Bring that camera in here a little bit closer. Through 93 years and four generations. The stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee stud. The Tennessee stud. You will learn that name, you will remember it. And now, the stud is here. Hey everybody, welcome in. It's David Summers. It's another studcast with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. It's the story of wrestling in America as told by the stud, whose family started the profession 100 years ago. So now, we step back into the ring, back into time. We get wall to wall and treetop tall with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller in the Great Smoky Mountains of Tennessee. Hey, Ron, beautiful here in Southeast Alabama. What's it look like in the beautiful land of Tennessee? Oh, wow, man. It's a great one today. Uh, about 65 degrees, uh, blue sky, not a cloud up there. Uh, you know, mountains look beautiful from here. Jesus, it's a, it's a paradise, man. <laughs> so. That's, uh, I guess that's about the one, the one of the only words I got for it <laughs> off the top of my head. And it's really, really beautiful, man. Uh, so, uh, you know, and I'm sure down there, you're going to start to get a little humidity here pretty soon. Uh, and I see some, we got some eighties coming here, I think in the next week. Mm-hmm. So that's going to mean you 90 down there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're, we're excited. <laughs> Not in a good way. <laughs> All right. Listen, Ron, the title for this stud cast Number 295. This is number 295. It says it all in just four words. Gulf Coast tops Tennessee. Boom. Just like that. All right. After all the great talent you sent from your southeastern Gulf Coast territory to Memphis, your Gulf Coast booker, Louis Tillette, had managed to do what no one had expected. The Gulf Coast territory for the first time ever. Last Studcast topped the southeastern Knoxville territory in attendance. I think that's a pretty big deal. Oh man, well, I, it definitely was, man. And uh, and yes, it definitely did top it. And uh, Louis, you know, had found a remarkable new wrestler there, uh, Terry Bolia, uh, who Louis called the Hulk. Uh, and uh, and he has a whole bunch of different names. Spears called him uh, Sterling Golden, and uh, and the Hulk wanted to be called uh, Terry Boulder. So, you know, I mean, it was pretty confusing about what his actual name was. But uh, in only six weeks in the territory, the Hulk had become a sensation with the Gulf Coast fans. And he was all wrestling fans in that part of the country talked about. You know, and uh, so while 500 miles north in the southeast of Knoxville territory, uh, Bob Root, my booker there, was not doing nearly as good a job as they were as Louis was down there in the Gulf Coast. My father kind of had a great way of putting it. Uh, you know, when business kind of suddenly fell off uh, dramatically, you know, and uh, and he would have described what Roop was doing uh, in football lingo. And uh, he would have said, Bob Roop dropped the ball. right? And, uh, and in April or May of 1979, now I'm beginning basically to see, uh, once looking back on it uh, 44 years ago, I'm 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 seeing that Rube's fumble was probably on purpose, man, mm-hmm. <laughs> rather than just an act by accident. Yeah, wow. So for the first time in the 13 month history of the Gulf Coast Territory, it had been in business for 13 months at this point, and then all three major markets, all three of them beat the Knoxville crowd in attendance last week, first time ever, and uh, that's why I picked this Studcast title for the first time, obviously. Gulf Coast Territory had actually topped Tennessee. Last studcast, we even got deeper deeper into what was going on in Tennessee. But uh, we're just scratching the surface on that that story. Uh, 
six short weeks ago uh, from this studcast, uh, we're going to be in the Knoxville War. It's actually going to be beginning, and it'll be the beginning of the end of that territory's fantastic five-year run, man, that broke all-time records for small territories uh, anywhere. Wow. So I am... I am so into this upcoming war. You've been talking about this for a few weeks. We've been getting parts and pieces a little along the way. I'm finding out more about this true story with every studcast. This is a very unique historical event that rarely happened in wrestling. I'm not alone, studs, because I've seen the numbers for the last studcast, and you are on fire. The audience is literally exploding every week. The listeners and I are saddled up now and ready to find out where we are riding on this studcast. Well, we're going to start this uh, with the last card in the month of April in the Knoxville Coliseum. We'll start uh, up north. Uh, we're going to take another close look at the Bob Root card, uh, the matches and the angles, as we did last week. Kind of really see what he was doing on these cards. I'll break it down again, kind of like last week. To, you know, to see what made sense and what didn't make sense uh, with his booking and uh, what was probably a part of the future takeover attempt. So we'll cover the TV, the results of the card and the attendance. And then we're going to ride back uh, into Memphis for another card there. We'll talk about a card there uh, since we've got so many wrestlers in Memphis at this point. And I'll also give everybody a quick update on how that territory was doing. And then... Uh, we're going to do had something a little special into this stud cast that uh, I just put on my social media sites. So after that, we're going to ride south into the red hot Gulf Coast territory, man, where Billy Spears was adding wrestlers to his family of stars. And uh, I'm going to announce the mobile card on in the last week of April 1979 in this show. Uh, we'll talk about the TV show that promoted the results of that card and the attendance there. And, uh, and if we got enough time, Dave, we're going to answer another learning tree question. Cool deal. Okay. I can't wait to hear what Bob Roop was up to this week, 44 years ago. Also, Billy Spears, who was building quite a strong family of stars down south. No doubt about it. All right. Would you like to start with the Knoxville card, Ron? This time back in the Coliseum. Friday, April 27th, 1979. Uh, why not, Dave? That's a good place to go. Let's okay, do it. so yep. the first three matches on this card were all Bayliner boat matches. The first was a mass newcomer called a Zodiac versus Terry Gibbs. Crusher Blackwell again was in the second match, uh, wrestling another babyface, uh, Kevin Sullivan. Uh, Dean Ho had a babyface opponent. As well, he was wrestling against Ken Lucas. Uh, there was a ladies' match on this card. Winona Littlehart uh, wrestled uh, Lily Thomas. And the next match was the judo jacket match. Mr. Fuji, who was presented by Ron Wright, put on the judo jacket to take on the popular returning star, Ron Slinker, who was going to be uh, working both the territories for a while. Coming back in, hadn't been in the territories for a while. And then there was a winner-takes-all tag match that uh, really didn't say anything in the newspaper or TV about what was at stake in that winner-takes-all match. But uh, it was the great Malenko and Bob Orton Jr. against Dick Slater and the Continental Wrestling Association heavyweight champion Thunderbolt Patterson. who He had worked in Knoxville uh, for a short while, about a year earlier in the territory. And uh, the main event was the Southeastern champion, Ronnie Garvin, versus the new TV champion, Bob Roop. And both their titles were going at stake. Uh, winner was going to walk away with both titles. Wow. Much, obviously, a much better card than the one from last week. It had seven matches on it for the first time. Sounds like your conversation with Bob Roop about the card last time really made a difference. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think it did, man. Uh, uh, it appeared that way, at least at, at first glance, uh, when I looked at this card. But you have to remember, you know, I was still down in the Gulf Coast Territory. I had no idea. Uh, two of the first three matches were babyface matches. Uh, one of those per night, that's a pretty good thing for fans. Uh, you know, they don't mind having a babyface match. I think it was good for, for the territory. But uh, when you got two of them on the same card, that's kind of pushing it. 
and it's not pushing it in the right direction, in my opinion. Crusher Blackwell uh, was in the second match, and his Canadian Bumblebee mm-hmm. outfit and mask was uh, never seen again. <laughs> and, and and nobody ever explained why. <laughs> what happened to the Canadian Bumblebee? Wow. So, I mean, that's weird to me. If you're the booker, you just it just disappeared. It just went away. So it seems like a real mistake. So fans, I'm pretty sure were unhappy that the Canadian Bumblebee was gone and only Blackwell remained, especially with no explanation of why or where the Bumblebee went, right? Well, yeah, that's for sure, you know, and uh, and, you, and you can't ask me because, you know, I, I would have to continue to, I would have continued to use him if I was doing the booking, but I was still down in the Gulf Coast <laughs> full time and I didn't even know what was on this card until I was doing my research for this stud cast. So basically, there's a period of about six weeks here in April and May in which I was so uh, down south and so committed to it and the matches with Hulk that uh, that I didn't even really know what these cards were until I'm, I'm looking at them each week now as I do the next one and doing my research. So so bear in mind, I still had no idea was what was happening uh and, and in a few weeks, and uh, still today, 44 years later, I really don't know actually a lot of what was, what actually happened during this fine time frame behind closed doors, you know, and even uh, even how many of the wrestlers, I don't know how many of the guys that were in the crew knew anything about what was going on. So, however, there was a name on this card that really stuck out to me. And it was Thunderbolt Patterson, the guy I just mentioned who was in the tag match. And Thunderbolt had a long history of being a troublemaker for promoters around the country. Uh, he believed, and he, and he didn't mind telling everybody, that promoters never paid the wrestlers what they had coming. Hmm. He, he even tried to unionize wrestlers <laughs> to get, so he could get uh, they could have more control of the sport, and he could as well. You know, uh, so, uh, you know, uh, and that was uh, pretty far out there. And and guess who was always also a strong proponent of that same union union idea? Uh, don't tell me, Bob Roop. All, <laughs> <laughs> all of a sudden, this card la- like last week's card doesn't sound right either. So, what was on the TV show that set up the whole thing that promoted it? Well, it opened with Ronnie Garvin and the video from the night before where he beat Bob Roof in their first Southeastern match they ever had in that tar and feather match. And it showed the end of the match. And then it showed out Garvin after the won the match, how he uh, tarred and feathered Roof in the ring. And uh, uh, obviously, Les says fans love that. Uh, you know, it was different and crazy. And uh, so then uh, Bob Roof uh, got a win right after the video because he's going to be wrestling against Garvin the following following a Friday night. He used his shoulder breaker to, and he got some of his heat back because, you know, you got it took a lot of heat off, off of him, him losing to Garvin and then getting tarred and feathered. Uh, so he needed a good win, and that's what happened for him there. Uh, then, uh, you know, uh, 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 Dick Slater and uh, Thunderbolt Patterson, uh, they got a win in the second TV match, first time those two guys – had ever wrestled his team. Uh, the personality profile was pre-recorded, and uh, and uh, it was with the returning Ron Slinker. And it had to be shot the day before the TV because Slinker was going to be down in the Gulf Coast and on, this, on the following Saturday, about two days later, actually uh, doing the Gulf Coast TV show live. He's going to be wrestling on that show, as a matter of fact. So uh, it's a... Uh, it's a uh, slinker is a and then, then slinker's opponent for the next Friday night was Mr. Fuji. And obviously uh, that was presented by Ron Wright and he was in the next TV match after slinker's profile. And this was a special judo jacket match on TV. One of the first times, I think it was the very first time we'd ever had a judo jacket match on television. And it gave fans an idea of uh, what they were going to see the following Friday night. A lot of fans had never seen one of these Euro jacket matches. And Ron Wright, as usual, took the opportunity and went to the set with Les to brag on his man while uh, Fuji was doing his thing in the ring. And uh, he told everybody that Mr. Fuji was uh, going to 
beat the hell out of the United States karate champion Ron Slinker and the judo Zach and Match and and Les said Fuji was uh, so good, man. Uh, hey, he did his own talking in the ring. I think that's the way Les put it. You know, he didn't have to. He didn't have to say anything. <laughs> he took care of business uh, in the judo jacket match. Last TV match was Bob Orton Jr. and the Great Malenko. Uh, they finished their opponents off quickly, and uh, Orton used his inverted pile driver, and Malenko, uh, like he always did, he stomped all over the other. Uh, guy that was in the ring, and uh, then he finished up by putting his Russian sickle hold on him after he had stomped him to pieces. Wow, so that sounds like a much better TV run than last week's, of course. But again, what about Crusher Blackwell? Where was he? Yeah, well, don't ask me, Dave. You know, like I said, I wasn't there, and I I would have had him on TV for sure if I had been there. But uh, this is how smart some of our fans are, Dave. Uh, I got an example here of something that happened concerning Crusher Blackwell here, and one of my one of our fans on social media addressed that very subject, and he said that he thought Crusher Blackwell, because he was not one of the five wrestlers that was going to leave Southeastern, might have been approached by Roop about this time frame, hmm. about what their plans were, and Blackwell refused to go along with it. Wow. And as a result of that, the guy's thinking, you know, that Crusher might have been punishing Blackwell, uh-huh. uh, you know, and uh, and his guess was that Rube may have uh, demoted him on purpose. Mm. Uh, dropped him down to early matches on the card, and I think that might have also led to Blackwell uh, not making any TV appearances. He's not on TV. He's not. He's lost his mask, his Canadian bumblebee persona. I mean, that all could be because Rube, uh, Rube hit him with his idea, and Crusher said, no, I'm not I'm not a part of that. Wow. I mean, that's a pretty good observation, Ron, especially by that fan, obviously. But do you think that might be correct? And what happened on the next Friday night in the Coliseum? Was he a part of that? Well, you know, when it came to the war, you know, I, I was still pretty much in the dark about most of it. Knowing Roop, I wouldn't have put that demotion idea past him for darn sure, you know. And in the, the first match the following Friday night, uh, let's go right into those matches, was won by the new Zodiac mask guy over Terry Gibbs. Uh, Crusher Blackwell won the second match, which was a baby ma- baby face match over Kevin Sullivan, and he moved on in the Bayliner both tournament. Uh, Dino and Ken Lucas wrestled uh, in, a, in a second babyface match in a row, and that ended in a time limit drop. Uh, but both men were still in the tournament because it was a draw. They weren't knocked out of the tournament. Went on a little heart. Uh, the lady match uh, won over Lily Thomas. Uh, Ron Slinker won a judo jacket match over Mr. Fuji. And uh, the winner-takes-all tag match uh, that was never properly explained. Uh, luckily, it ended in a, no contest. I don't know what they would have won, so nobody won it. Uh, Thunderbolt Patterson and Dick Slater uh, wrestling against Malenko and Bob Orton Jr. Hmm. Southeastern belt versus the Southeastern TV trophy match between Ronnie Garvin and Bob Roop uh, was won by Ronnie Garvin. How about it? Just really over, man. Yeah. How about attendance? How'd you guys do on that one? Well, the crowd came back up, man. Uh, to, I think the week before it was in the park, it was like 3,100. It was a record. Uh, hadn't had a crowd that small in more than two years. This one came back up to 4,200, which was a jump over over 1,000 fans, uh, which is a nice jump, and I'm really glad to see it. God, I mean, just a little bit of effort. It seemed that that talking, that that, that talk that you had to Bob Roof uh, brought in 1,000 fans, it seemed like. So, all right, I think you said earlier you would give everybody an update on what was happening in the Memphis territory and the latest memphis card in the mid-south coliseum how about that well that card was on april 30th 1979 uh first match on that card was buzz sawyer uh, who had come from southeastern against hans schroeder who is a guy i wrestled in australia in 1973 uh and he like uh, bill dundee another australian had come to america and was wrestling in the memphis territory Tony Charles wrestled against Tiny York. Uh, the ladies' match, as usual for the women, uh, 
because they were all booked by the fabulous Moolah back in those days. Those two ladies that had wrestled in Knoxville three days earlier, they were in Memphis three days later. So Winona Littlehart uh, was wrestling against uh, against uh, Lily, Lily Thomas. And uh, then there was a six-man elimination match on that card, uh, the Assassins and Gorgeous George Jr., a couple of those guys right there in that match from Southeastern versus Robert, Tor Tanaka, and Bill Dundee. And one of those assassins was Randy Colley, who's a Southeastern guy. And I'll be honest, I don't know who the other assassin was, but it could have been Roger Smith, who had actually been in Southeastern for a while. And uh, in a winner of the next match, uh, uh, got a shot at the Southern title, uh, and that match was Jimmy Golden, uh, who had just gotten there, uh, versus uh, Jerry Lawler. And then in the Southern title match, the champion, who was the Mongolian stomper at this point, was managed by Gorgeous George Jr. there, was defending against Tommy Rich, who was becoming a big star in that Memphis area. So basically, eight out of the total, eight out of a total 14 men on that card were from Southeastern. Wow. I mean, that doesn't surprise me. More than half the card was from Southeastern territories. So how are they doing in that territory after four months of getting talent from your companies? Well, Robert said they were beginning to have sellouts in some cities, uh, in the smaller cities, I think in Louisville and uh, uh, Evansville. Uh, and they were putting about 8,000 into the Memphis building at this point. That building held 11,000, but it had grown from 4,000 to 8,000. Uh, it was well on its way, you know. And he said all of the cities had basically more than doubled their attendance since we started sending those guys from uh, Southeast. All right. You had been very generous with your help for your father and his partner, Jerry Jarrett, with your wrestlers and Booker, you sent them. So you said earlier that you had something special now on your social media sites that you would like to talk about. Do you want to tell us what that's about? Yeah. You know, uh, 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 this is really pretty crazy, Dave. Uh, but this is this is the, another great thing about social media. Uh, a guy named Joe Stasi from Kentucky sent me a tremendous article. It was written in 1979 by a young man that was helping to the Memphis promotion. He was taking photographs and uh, doing their their uh, their programs and a lot of other things. And, and some people listening today may recognize his name, Jim Cornette. So Jim <laughs> Cornette wrote this article uh, in, in 1979. It's an excellent description of who all these new wrestlers were that were coming into the Memphis Territory in 1979. Mm. So I got the article. He sent me, Joe Saucy sent me the article, and it's on my Facebook and my Twitter sites. And I highly recommend fans take a look at that as a great article. Mm-hmm. And uh, they will see everything I've been saying about how much great talent we were sending in the Memphis 1979. All right. So that's on your Facebook and your Twitter sites, right? Yes. Okay. I have not seen the article yet, but I, I had a surprise learning tree question for you today. It probably fits great with the article that'll be coming up later in the studcast. You suffer, you suffered in the, in the Gulf coast territory as a result of losing those wrestlers, but that wasn't the case anymore. So it seems when we come back, let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to ride into the Gulf coast territory that was now topping Tennessee. It's getting hulked up down south. That and more when this studcast continues. Okay, a heads up on the break on this studcast and attention all studcast fans. It's a special announcement from Ron. In each new studcast, it's entering the most interesting and important periods in Ron's wrestling career right now in 1979. Every new studcast will be filled with more information and history than ever before. He wants me to let you know he would like your help in reaching wrestling fans you know that don't listen to studcast. You'll have the opportunity to learn more about the sport and and there are a few better ways to learn than these studcasts. Please give your friends and fellow fans the heads up on what's happening now on every studcast. Let's make new fans of our great sport and its rich history. Thanks for your support. 
Okay, Studcast fans, welcome back in. Episode number 295. Can you believe that? 295 of these. This one is called Gulf Coast Tops, Tennessee. And I think we might be headed south. Where are we going on this one, Stud? Where do we ride to now? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something a little bit different before we get to the actually uh, talking about the what's coming up next. Uh, I want to take a minute, man, to kind of explain to listeners out there how, how doing these stud casts affects me sometimes. Uh, it's been uh, 44 years since the events we talk about today actually took place. And uh, that's almost half a century. And God, I, I can't hardly believe that, man, but it's really true. It's almost half a century ago. And I, and I love the fact I can still feel some of the excitement and even some of the sadness uh, that followed me in those days is uh, I constantly switch back and forth from territories. And uh, when leaving Knoxville, I remember and heading south every time during the months of April and May of 1979, it was kind of like leaving uh, darkness, man, and uh, uh, and going into the light. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it was, there was an uncomfortable vibe in the Knoxville Territory among the wrestlers. Hmm. You know, where the territory down there where there had always been joy and happiness uh, there, there was something that was missing there. And, and I could feel it even back in those days. But I had no idea what was going on in the behind the scenes. I didn't think that any of the, any of the wrestlers in the crew much knew about it either. Uh, probably didn't have any idea what was going on. I don't know who all was involved and in, uh, what's coming up here uh, at this point. So when I arrived, man, uh, back with the Gulf Coast crew and I went south, it was like night and day. Huh? I could feel the enthusiasm that was missing in Knoxville. Uh, and the growing crowds down there in the Gulf Coast, it was inspiring that crew down there. And they had an enthusiastic booker, Louis Toledo, and uh, wow, they had a great upbeat dressing room. And uh, and it was always my opinion that nothing had a greater effect on and the matches themselves than having an upbeat dressing room. And, you know, I'm very sad to say I was only 31 years old at this point. Mm. Wow. You know, and, mm. and and I could feel something was wrong in Tennessee. Mm. But uh, having no experience with something as disastrous as what was coming, I didn't know how to handle it, basically. So uh, in 1979, it was a critical point in Southeastern's history. And, you know, as the old saying is, hindsight is 2020. Uh, uh, but looking back, if I could only have changed my booker there at the end of April 1979, mm -hmm. I have no idea how much how much my future might have been changed. All right, listen, you were raised, I mean, as a baby into the wrestling business. At this time, you're 31 years old. How, how old was Bob Roop? Do you think he was taking advantage of maybe what he thought would be your youth and inexperience? Well, he was basically about my age. He was uh, he wow. was about uh, two years, only two or three years older than I was. Wow. You know, but, uh, you know, uh, he was just, uh, he was a bad choice for me hmm. as a booker. And, uh, wow, I paid a big price for it. Yeah, I can feel how much these these last stud casts have affected you. I, I commend you for dealing with this as well as you have. We never know what the future holds for us. And in spite of all that was happening to you, you managed to come through this experience still having huge success. Well, I think talking about all this, Dave, has, has been kind of good for me, man. You know, I've held most of this inside me for far too long. You know, I, I never talked about it uh, very much. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so, you know, and I think that's enough. I'm glad I got to say my little piece here. But uh, so let's get back to basically now what's that shining territory, man, down there on the Gulf Coast. And uh, wow, it had a really bright future ahead of it. So here, here's the Mobile, Alabama card. Let's let's jump on the Mobile, Alabama card on Wednesday night, mm -hmm. April the 25th, 1979 in Expo Hall. It was uh, just two days before the Knoxville card that we just talked about mm -hmm. in the first part of this studcast. So it was a loaded card, man. Uh, 
And that is also going to be, uh, that same card was going to be in Montgomery and in Dothan the same week. The opening match was Armand Hussein. Uh, he was against Eddie Sullivan, managed by Billy Spears. Billy Spears is everywhere at this point, just about. Uh, two wrestlers from the main event the week before were facing each other in the second match. That was Roy Lee Welch against the gladiator, Dick Steinborn. He was managed by Billy Spears. Uh, then after the bloody match the week before between Punk Rock Ferris, uh, who's the future honky-tonk man for WWE or WWF, I don't know which one it was, mm -hmm. depending on uh, mm -hmm. exactly what year he became the honky-tonk man. Yeah. And uh, Punk Rock had wrestled against Herb Calvert, and uh, fans were ready for this match because of what had happened the week before uh, they'd had a bloody match, and Punk Rock uh, attacked Herb Calvert just about the time – he was pinning somebody from the audience, and uh, and he busted Calvert open, and Calvert uh, returned the pain, man, uh, and he busted uh, he busted old Honky back uh, as well. So this return match between the two uh, was going to be for a loser leave match. Uh, it was going, we were going to find out somebody else was going to be leaving Southeastern Gulf Coast. <laughs> Southeastern Tag Champions Ricky Fields, Terry Latham. We're going to be making their first title defense against Billy Spears' brand-new tag team, those giant Samoans, man, Alpha and Sika. Uh, the Southeastern tag champ, the Southeastern champion, David D David Schultz, Dr. D, uh, after sending Norvell Austin packing last week in a loser leave Southeastern match, was defending his belt against uh, a very popular wrestler in the Southeastern Gulf Coast Territory in 1978, Ron Slinker, the United States Karate Champions, coming down to try to get David Schultz's Southeastern Championship. And the main event uh, was a special event. The winner had to win using his own submission hold, and it was the Hulk. That uh, I'm going to start referring to the Hulk as Terry Boulder, uh, managed by Billy Spears. Mm -hmm. And uh, he had to win this match by using his bear hug, and he was going to be against me. And I had to use it by winning. I had the only way I could win was by using my fuller leg lock on him. All right, that was a great six card match, two title matches, a loser leaves match, and a submission match all in that. So, what was on the TV five days before this card? Well, man, it was kind of just as loaded as the upcoming card. Uh, TV opened with David Schultz, the set with Charlie Platt. Uh, they watched a video from Mobile four nights earlier when Schultz sent Norvell Austin packing in the loser leaves Southeastern match. Then uh, Charlie invited the champion, Schultz, to stay with him at the set, uh, and they watched his uh, next opponent uh, live, and uh, that was Ron Slinker. In the very first match, a U.S. karate champion who hadn't been seen down there in the Gulf Coast since the summer of 78, got a huge hand in reception from the studio crowd. And he looked better to me than he ever had, but Schultz didn't see it that way. He repeatedly insulted Slinker, saying that no karate guy was going to be man enough to beat him. <laughs> and uh, Slinker did, however, leave his opponent laying. So mm -hmm. he was good enough to take care of his opponent. And then Punk Rock Wayne Ferris was next. And he went to the set to join Charlie, and he watched his opponent, uh, Herb Calvert from Mobile. And uh, this is a they this was the tape of the match the week before, and in uh, it uh, this upcoming match between the two of them now was going to be for uh, loser leave. Uh, you know, so Punk Rock stayed at the set, and he watched Calvert's live match. His comments were kind of like Schultz's comments about about Slinker and, uh, uh, and imagine that since, you know, uh, Schultz and, 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 uh, punk rock were both mm -hmm. trained by my grandfather, Herb Welch. So <laughs> kind of, it's easy to imagine punk rock and Schultz being a lot of life when it came to the wrestling business. And then, uh, Calvert won his match, uh, and he won it with a shooting hole, man. Uh, he, uh, Calvert was a great dresser and a great amateur. And he knew a little bit of shooting too. So I was on the personality profile for this TV. It was the first time since I'd returned to the Gulf Coast. And uh, this TV, this profile was all about the Hulk, you know. And it was my opinion. Charlie wanted to know my opinion of this guy. Tell us about the Hulk. What do you think? 
you know, and I talked about how strong he was. Uh, I talked about how effective he was with his barrel and uh, how, how you know, he could feel like he'd crush your bones and, uh, and how recently mm. I had watched him uh, um, with, uh, with the two Welches, with uh, Lester and with his son Roy, mm-hmm. make both of them bleed from the mouth in the last two weeks and, uh, and how the upcoming uh, very rare this submission match between he and I uh, was going to be, and uh, and it had a twist to it that I had never seen in any of these submission matches. Normally, in a submission match, you just have to make somebody give up, but uh, you can only win this submission match by using your hold. So Hook was going to have to win with the bear hug, mm-hmm. or I was going to have to win with the uh, fuller leg lock. I do remember those days. The Hulk kind of showed up out of nowhere and everywhere instantly people were talking about this guy. I was at some of those matches between you and him in 1979. So what was that like? Well, I know there was a real process in getting any new wrestler over. Uh, It didn't make any difference who they were, actually. But in Terry's case, uh, it took even more thought because he was such a unique talent and he was so big. And, uh, you know, I've been thinking about this very subject, Dave, uh, quite a bit. Uh, and, uh, you know, the Knoxville War uh, on Studcast has been my focus lately. But there was something just as important as that happening down there in the Gulf Coast Territory during this time. And uh, and that was the Hulk, man. And, and I'm going to spend some extra time in the next Studcast uh, focused, focused on the Hulk. And, uh, and this plan that Louie and I had set up for this guy's future. Okay, so I really can't wait for that, Stud. The Hawks' short time, unbelievably, in the Gulf Coast Territory was absolutely amazing. To hear how it all went down, the switch from heel to babyface, Andre's coming and the huge football stadium in Dothan, Alabama, the big show with him against Harley Race for the NWA world title. So what was next on this TV? Well, Billy Spears and his two giant Samoans, uh, they joined Charlie at the set. Uh, they were the third, uh, third heels to join Charlie for, these, for this TV. And uh, they were going to watch the Southeastern Tag Champions, Ricky Fields and Terry Latham in action. And Spears, uh, you know, as, as was expected, spent the whole time telling Charlie what his Samoans were going to do to the young punks in the ring there, you know, and uh, how his team – uh, we're going to get the tag belts on their very first try. And uh, that was all they needed was just one match, and they were going to be the new champions. And uh, while all this chatter was happening, though, Fields and Latham looked like champions in the ring, and they got themselves a heck of a win. <laughs> and uh, people that were watching it, I'm sure, were like, well, you know, them boys don't look too bad to me. So the Hulk was back on TV again. And, uh, and he'd been wrestling on every TV show since he got there, except for the very last week. And uh, f- for this time, uh, he did something that was really different that he had never done before. He had a little dispute with his manager, Billy Spears, you know, who Billy had him announced as Sterling Golden. Uh, but uh, the big man, <laughs> and, uh, you know, he went straight over to the announcer and he told him to that call me Terry the Hulk Boulder. Wow. <laughs> so, wow. So okay. basically, there's this big guy, man, who has just been following everybody's suggestion and keeping his mouth shut. For the first time in his career, he did something on his own. You know, <laughs> Nobody told him to do that. He just went over there and said, hey, that's not who I want to be called. Call right. me Terry the Hulk Boulder. Wow. The guy introduced him, the announcer introduced him again. So... I was pretty, uh, I was pretty impressed by that. I said, mm. you know, this this kid's got some, he's got some ump to him. So Spears obviously was a little bit upset by it, but he didn't push it too far, you know. And uh, and I think that a Hulk made a gesture to him to like get out on the floor, <laughs> right? Get out of the <laughs> ring. <laughs> so you know, there's a little something going on now between Hulk and Spears. Hmm. So. Then Hulk made his opponent give up in the bear hug, and uh, and when he did, he dropped him immediately. He wasn't going to hurt him. And then Spears jumped back up in the ring, and he made him pick up the guy and put him in the bear hug again hmm. after he'd already beat him, right? Right. 
So, uh, you know, and obviously uh, it looked like uh, Spears wanted Hulk to, to make him bleed from the mouth yeah. like he had done Roy and, and Lester, both the Welches. Sure. You know, and so I wasn't going to allow that. I ran in the ring and uh, Terry and Spears, they headed for the dressing room. All right. I'm sure everybody in the studio stood up for that one. That had to explode in that TV studio. Another very good TV show, Ron, no doubt. So what happened in Mobile, Alabama? the following Wednesday night. Well, it wasn't only Mobile's matches that was going to be uh, shown on the TV the following week. We'd been doing all these recordings for Mobile. The three major markets had started doing very well, man, the Montgomery and Dothan as well as Mobile. And Louie had asked me if he could start, if we could start shooting some matches uh, from Montgomery and Dothan as well as from Mobile. Now, I didn't have a problem with it, especially since we were going to record uh, pieces for uh, four of these next six matches uh, on the card that we just talked about, and uh, we were going to show those back on the next TV show. Every time you showed matches live from another arena, it always had a great impact, and it always helped those houses to get bigger in those arenas. So in the first match uh, on this uh on this particular night, the card that we talked about, uh, Eddie Sullivan managed by Billy Spears. He beat Armand Hussein. And the uh, second match was uh, with another member of the Spears family, the gladiator, Dick Steinborn. And uh, fans didn't know it, but Steinborn was also, rather than just being a wrestler, he was handling the Montgomery promotion for the company. Uh, he had moved to Montgomery. He lived there, and uh, he was handling Montgomery's advertising and doing a real good job of it. So the week before, he had to remain uh, in the main event as a partner to Hulk. That was where he was in the match the week before. He was partners with Hulk. And uh, this time, uh, he was wrestling against Roy Lee, who had been our partners with me the week before against the Hulk. So you got, uh, now you got me against the Hulk in a single match. You got Roy Lee against the Gladiator in a single match. So, uh, and, uh, you know, the, the, they were going to have maybe, uh, you know, uh, they're going to be returning against each other the following week. In fact, Roy Lee ended up bloody in this match. Uh, they had a disqualification, and when it occurred, uh, it was shot in Montgomery two days earlier when we wrestled there on Monday, the two days before the Mobile cars, and uh, we recorded that match there to use it the following week. Third match on this card in Mobile was the Loser Leaf Southeastern match. Uh, the same match was recorded uh, two nights earlier after the Mobile match in Dothan. So Herb Calvert beat Punk Rock Wayne Ferris. Punk Rock uh, was then yet another young Southeastern star that was headed to Memphis, of all places. Can you imagine that? And uh, <laughs> then it was time for the Southeastern Tag Championship match. Uh, there were champions, Ricky Fields and Terry Layton, defending against uh, for the first time against Billy Spears' new team, the Samoans. And this match was recorded in Mobile, and it was won by the Spears team, and uh, highly celebrated, I might add, by Billy Spears. Uh, and uh, I didn't think he'd have the guts to do it after they beat that team, uh, but uh, Billy Spears uh, just was went crazy for him, jumped all over his guys, uh, and uh, that building was, boy, they were mad. They were very upset. They loved the Fields and Lathan team. And uh, so... Uh, uh, it, it was Southeastern Championship match, uh, you know, after that was over, was uh, David Schultz taking on the U.S. Karate Champion Ron Slinker, and this match ended up in a double disqualification. So the main event was the win-by-submission-only match with myself against the Hulk. Mm -hmm. It was managed by Billy Spears, and it was also, this match was recorded, going to be shown the next week uh, on TV, that following Saturday on TV. Mm -hmm. And uh, wow, it was a great match. The people were so into it. They were into the Hulk, and I was about the same size and a little bit taller. And, you know, it just, it was a good fit. It was a good match. And, uh, and then during the course of the match, I kept going for my full leg lock, you know, because mm -hmm. uh, obviously it was the only way you could win the match was to use your hold. So, uh, and Terry kept leaving the ring. Boulder kept jumping out of the ring because Spears commanded him to. Mm -hmm. You know, he realized that, you know, this kid's young. He's going to get caught in this hole, man, real early here, and this is going to be over. So at the end of that match, uh, Boulder uh, collided with the referee. 
And uh, when he went down, the referee went down hard, man. So uh, I ended up getting my toe hold on him. Right then, Boulder went down when he got up on his hands and knees. I just shot in there and got the toe. And uh, it was right in the middle of the ring. It's over, man. And so Spears came in the ring. The referee was down. And and I was on my back. Uh, you know, I rolled him over into my hold. And uh, I was laying on my back and pretty helpless at that point. And uh, – Hulk was screaming that he gave up, but there's no referee to hear him. And uh, so Spears in there by himself, he had something in his fist and he hit me with it. Pretty much knocked me out. And, uh, and then he got Hulk up and he, and, uh, he got Hulk to put his bear hug on me. And uh, then Billy left the ring before the referee even got back to his feet. And I was still out. And uh, when the referee got up and in Hulk's bear hug, and so the ref uh, – or pull my arm up in there, raise my hand two, mm. two, two, three times, and uh, I dropped it uh, every time. And he rang the bell and raised the Hulk's hand in victory. And uh, so the regular ride was on. You know, wow. The regular mobile ride, it was like a weekly thing. And Spears and the Hulk and the police, they, they fought their way back to the God. dressing room. Wow. And we were going to come back. Then uh, next week we'll be talking about coming back with a lumberjack match. Going to keep the Hulk from running. So, uh, you know, uh, we're doing a lot of good things down there in the southeastern Gulf Coast. Oh, absolutely. I got to ask you, what was it like you and the Hulk at that time, Hulk Hogan, uh, as he is known now, of course, what was it like? Did, did you have moments with him where you guys talked about the match and, and what, what kind of mentality did he have as a brand new, as a young wrestler, as an amateur, really? Almost. Yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, he showed something in this TV show we just talked about mm -hmm. by, by you know, doing something they wasn't told to do. Right. I know. Yeah, he had he had good sensibilities. He had good feeling for the sport, mm -hmm. and you know, and that's something we're going to talk about uh, next week a lot. Like I said, we're going to get into really uh, talking about Hulk's growth, his personality, and, uh, and, and what. Yeah. And, and his abilities and, and where I thought he was going to be headed. I knew right away that this guy's going to be big time. When he dealt with you, did he have a humble attitude? What was it like, him being new to the business? Oh, yeah. He had a tremendous attitude. He wanted to learn everything he wanted to learn. And we'll talk about it, though. You know, we said I spent hours with him. I, yeah. A lot of time after every match, we would we never left the buildings usually for an hour after everybody wow. was gone talking about that match, what he could have done better, what 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 he did right, what he did wrong. Wow. So uh, he yeah, I was I was working, working on him because I realized that this guy's got a big future. Yeah. And, uh, you know. He deserved it, and he had the attitude that made him really deserve it. So he was really soaking it up like a sponge, just hey, he taking it. it all in. He loved it, and wow. he loved the, he loved the heat. Mm -hmm. uh, he had the great attitude, and uh, yeah, you know, and that's why I wanted to put a lot of I put a lot of time and effort into working with him. Yeah, uh, and because I was tall like he was, yeah, uh, it was going to be a different thing for him. Uh, and it was it was good for him to be he made him learn to work with every size guy oh exactly because he was men, mentally he was probably thinking about future main events with anybody so that's man that is a great night of wrestling and i, I can't wait to hear more about the personality side between the two of you and how you helped him grow along the way. That's that's amazing. All right, so how about the attendance in the three major markets, Montgomery, Dothan, and Mobile? How'd you guys do? Well, Montgomery, man, uh, he was up a little more, man. He went to 4,000. Uh, Dothan uh, went up to 4,200. Uh, both those cities were up again. Uh, Mobile had his third straight sellout in Expo Hall. Uh, that was a new record, man. Uh, it had more than 5,000 people again. Uh, so this week, Knoxville managed, uh, uh, to, uh, as a comparison, Knoxville managed to barely beat Montgomery, but just by a few hundred people. It actually tied Dothan's crowd, 4,200, and it was 1,000 fans below Mobile's attendance. Okay, so I guess that's why you titled this studcast Gulf Coast Tops Tennessee. I think you should have added the word again 
to the title since that was the second week in a row that this had happened. All right, so where do we ride next week, Stud? Well, we're headed into the most uh, controversial month in Southeastern wrestling history, man. Uh, and basically, the first week of May 1979, uh, that month had three title matches with the NWA world champion, Harley Race. And, uh, and there was a lot of other things that happened uh, during that month leading us into basically the Knoxville War, which in, I think is one of the saddest stories in wrestling history because of what it did to a great territory. So uh, there's nothing in southeastern Knoxville history that was ever going to be the same again after this uh, April and May of 1979. And then, on the other hand, southeastern Gulf Coast was a totally different story. I mean, the Hulk was on fire. I mean, uh, we're going to dive deep uh, into why. Uh, you know, we just talked about it. Uh, we're going to really go deep into me and the Hulk's relationship and the actual process that was happening during this time. How uh, how his heel turn, uh, you know, it came, he, he turned from uh, heel to baby phase. We'll talk about leading to a very controversial win. He's actually going to beat the world champion, Harley Race. Wow. Uh, the Spears family uh, at this point are, are beginning to still grow, man. And because he's going to end up a baby face, he needs another big heel. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, he, and, uh, and Spears is going to bring in, man, the 300-pound-plus ox baker. <laughs> and, and, you know, wow. I mean, he's the perfect heel for the Hulk. These two guys were massive, right? Yeah. And, uh, and ox baker had a frightening reputation. Uh, and some say, and I, and I don't know really whether this is true or not, but some say that he killed at least two wrestlers with his heart punch. Ray Gunkel's one of them. Wow. In, in, uh, in uh, Savannah, Georgia, he hit him with a heart punch, and Ray Gunkel died in the dressing room. No kidding. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, Ox Baker was a serious dude. I mean, and he was a monster. So, you know, we're going to really have a lot of great conversation here about the Hulk over the next uh, eight, eight, ten, uh, eight or ten studcasts at least here yeah. where where the Hulk is going to be doing some tremendous stuff for a kid that's only been in the business for months. So hopefully, Dave, uh, you can add another learning tree question to all this next week as well. <laughs> and uh and, uh, you know, these May 1979 studcasts are going to be, man, I do this. And the only word I can think of is historic. You know, and next yeah. week's yeah. is only the first. We're going to have five studcasts in, in this month, May wow. of 19, 2023. Yeah. So, you know, uh, and that's very rare, too, for us to have five in a month. And all five of them are going to be classic, classic and historic events. All right, cool deal. That is a, a whole lot to look forward to, Rod. And I'm still I'm still amazed and and intrigued by the building of who would be Hulk Hogan and what a huge hand you had in molding his career as a young, early, up and coming wrestler. All right, and speaking of looking forward to something, thankfully, thankfully, we've got enough time for this special, a special learning tree question that fits with what we talked about earlier. Danny Blackburn, Danny Blackburn, Jackson, Tennessee, ask, didn't many of the wrestlers you had sent to the Memphis Territory come back to Southeastern and Knoxville when the war started? And was the Knoxville War the reason for their return? Wow. What a great question, man. I mean, we got such knowledgeable fans here, man. Dave, it's truly amazing. Uh, uh, basically, I think this this is a question within a question. There's two questions here, it seems like to me. <laughs> you know, um, and Mr. Blackburn from Jackson, Tennessee, uh, uh, you know, he's not far away from Dyersburg, uh, the same city where my brother and I were born, man. Uh, Jackson, Tennessee is only about 40 miles, 30 or 40 miles from Dyersburg. And, uh, and I call Dyersburg the wrestling factory of the South uh, because in the 1940s and 50s, so many Southern wrestling stars were trained in Dyersburg, Tennessee. Uh, so, and including my second generation, the Welch family members, they were trained during those years. Uh, so, uh, so often, you know, they've, 
this question is great because there's there's always an underlying story, man, in the sport of wrestling, uh, somewhere in in every part of it, you know, and and it's true and and going to be really true in this learning tree question. And many of the fans that are sent from southeastern, uh, many of these wrestlers that I sent from southeastern the Memphis territory, they did come home to fight the war for Knoxville. But that wasn't the entire reason that they returned. I mean, I think he asked, uh, you know, was there anything else that, that brought them there? And, uh, and, and I talked about many stud cats back, several stud cats back about this. When Rob went to, to book uh, in, in Memphis about the special arrangement that had been made between Rob and my father and Jerry Jarrett, uh, the two promoters of the Memphis Territory, mm-hmm. uh, before Rob even left the Southeastern Territory, uh, they made an agreement uh, before Rob went to even start booking for him. They agreed that Rob, as the booker, was going to have the right to decide each wrestler's payoff every night. Hmm. And, and their payoff would be based upon a 28% of the gross house being paid to the wrestlers. Hmm. Now, that 28% figure was uh, it's, it's what I had always used in my territories. Rob had been w- working for me for years at this point, booking, and I let him figure the payoffs, and, uh, and he knew that uh, it was a great pay- payoff figure. In fact, it was significantly more than most territories paid their wrestlers. Hmm. Uh, so uh, so they, they made this agreement, uh, Rob and uh, Dad and uh, Jerry Jarrett, and uh, Rob left the Gulf Coast for Memphis uh, in the last week of January, 1979. And uh, many Southeastern wrestlers listed in this Jim Cornette article that we talked about earlier in the show. All of these wrestlers that Jim Cornette talks about are came from most of them from Southeastern Gulf Coast. A couple of them out of Knoxville, but most of them from the Gulf Coast down there. And, uh, you know, uh, so when Rob arrived in the Memphis Territory, crowds were very bad. They were in big, big trouble. And and there, obviously, when your crowds are bad, there was no issue about this agreement. You know, they were trying to get their business up. They didn't care, right? Uh, so, and then when the crowds uh, had grown significantly, by the time he gets to May, now he went there the end of January, uh, three months later in May, uh, all of a sudden, uh, the crowds are much bigger than they were before. Mm. And all of a sudden, there's a problem now about this 28%. Uh. So, and, and I've never told this story, uh, you know, and, and Rob, Rob was brought into the office, their office. Right. Uh, by my dad and Jerry Jarrett, and they talked about the, the 28% gross that they paid to the wrestlers that they agreed upon was now too high. It was oh. too much money. And they were going, they wanted Rob to lower the percentage to 22%. Uh, okay. I hate to interrupt, Stud, but that doesn't sound like a huge difference. Well, uh, okay, Dave, uh, that's a good question. You know, it, mm-hmm. it, then it doesn't. And, uh, and I'm sure a lot of listeners out there are probably thinking the same thing. Yeah. So uh, back in 79, when Rob called me and told me what was going on, I did the calculations for Rob and, uh, and when he called me about this. And, and I still have them uh, in, in my record books. I keep all these record books about the, the television shows and, uh, and the cards and uh, – and so, you know, and, and, I, and I got him here at my desk. I, you know, again, I think I got a head on for me just a second. Uh, I, I think I got it right here in this book, uh-huh. uh, you know. Uh, so so let's break it down, man. And, and, and I'm going to do it just exactly now, the same way I did uh, back for Rob in 1979. And, and let's start out. Let's use their largest city and building in the Memphis Territory is an example of, of what we're talking about here, the 28% dropping to 22%. So Mid-South, Memphis's Mid-South Coliseum held 11,000 people. It had an average ticket price of $4 a seat. Mm-hmm. Some of the kids got in for three. Uh, the ringsiders paid five or six, you know, but it averaged out to about $4 a ticket. So on a sellout, if they had 11,000 people at $4 a ticket, the gross was $44,000. Uh, 
28% of that $44,000 was a total of $12,320 that was paid to the wrestlers. Okay. Now, not all the wrestlers on the card got the same amount of money, but if you divided that card, that figure by 14 wrestlers, and that was pretty much the size of Cruz back in those days, it was 14 wrestlers. If you just divided that $12,320 by 14 wrestlers, uh, it meant that each wrestler would get paid uh, $880. Okay. Hmm. All right. So, so now if you drop that figure, from a 28% down to 22%, which is where they wanted it to be, mm-hmm. that $44,000 gross house would now pay the wrestlers $9,680 instead of $12,320. Right. So that means each wrestler then would get $690 instead of $880. That's oh. almost a $200 difference yeah. in their pay in their just one night. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. So now if you take into consideration, there were five other cities running every week. Okay. And let's say that the, that, that, uh, 28% docked down to 22 would only cost them $50 every night. Well, you've already got 200 here. So, uh, if you add that uh, 250 for those five nights to the 200 they just lost on a Monday night, mm-hmm. now you've got $450 less money in their pay. Right. Then uh, by dropping that percentage from 28 to 22, that $450 in today's money would make $1,460 less per man per week. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So so if they only pay 22% of the gross compared to 28%, uh, we did. That 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 what that does is it makes a 25% drop in the pay. To every wrestler. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Now, <laughs> that $1,469 in 1979 was a really nice down payment on a nice car. Yeah. I'm um, on a oh, real heck nice yeah, car. You better believe it. Yeah. And the amazing thing is the business acumen that you carry in this whole thing, and wrestlers can count, Ron. I'm like, oh no no! Don't, you better don't, believe they can. Don't, don't come down <laughs> here after money. me. <laughs> yeah, I bet they were able to count that out. Wow, that that really is a huge difference. I'd be screaming too if my money dropped twenty, almost twenty five percent, especially when the crowd was the same size. I'd be looking for a different territory. Well, that's basically what my brother told my father and Jerry Jarrett, uh, and, uh, you know, after the, during this meeting, you know, and uh, yeah. the, they had brought the, you know, he said that, the, you know, he said, guys, you brought me in here to Memphis, uh, you know, and he said, with my brother's permission, you know, and, uh, and look at all these stars that he has sent here mm-hmm. that helped you build your business back. <laughs> and he goes, you know, and, you know, Rob and I had to, this was a long conversation with us, an mm-hmm. unforgettable conversation. And he basically said, and now you basically want to cut these guys money by 25% after they've done a great job for you to grow your business. And he said, uh, yeah. Yeah. That's not going to work. Yeah. That's not going to work. I mean, how's he going to keep these guys when he starts paying them 25% less for no reason? Yeah. Right? Right. Exactly. Wow. And so he said, uh, you know, if if they if if they change your, your agreement here, uh, you know, he says, if you're going to do this, I have no choice. I'm leaving as a booker. Wow. And, and the attitude of the wrestlers is all dependent upon that. Because you had to rebuild attitudes in that market to get to get the morale back up. So, man, I tell you, that's a, that's pretty amazing, and that was that was pretty awesome for Rob to stand in front of your dad and Jerry Jarrett to get that point across. And so, well, are, are we going to find out? I mean, what was the answer on that? Did they answer that, or is that coming later? Well, I'll tell you, man. Uh- Hey, you know, everybody's going to find out more about the subject sooner or later, you know, and uh, so, uh, you know, I want to, you know, it's kind of like I always say, say to you, man, (laughs) that's, that's another story for another time, man. We'll continue with this process here, you know, but uh, for sure, but uh, 
I want to I want to thank this Mr. Blackburn here uh, from Jackson, Tennessee. What a great question, you know. And yeah. Uh, yeah. and what it did here, Mr. Blackburn, is it kind of offered me the opportunity to take fans, man, uh, behind the curtain, man, and even deeper into the kayfabe world of the sport, man, uh, that's always been so secretive about almost everything, to talk about these payoffs and things like that. Fans don't hear that in any other podcast anywhere. No, I, I've never heard anything like that. And I can't believe you're revealing all of this. That's why I love these learning tree questions and these stud casts, of course. No wonder you get so many compliments from fans around all around the world. As if the this weekly question is not enough. Once a month, you also answer, folks that may not know, 10 or more questions from fans on your YouTube Southeastern Rewind channel. That's why you're becoming known as one of professional wrestling's great historians okay folks on facebook go to ron fuller welch the tennessee stud like and follow him there to become friends with a living legend on twitter same thing ron fuller welch on twitter twitter follow him there check out the website tnstud.com for 43 super stud cast every stud cast ever done including this one on tnstud.com and the stud store is there too for all of you all of your favorite souvenirs Get your personally autographed copy of Ron's novel, Brutus. It's there, too. His YouTube channel, Ron's YouTube channel, Southeastern Rewind, is red hot. 261 hours of videos there now. 52 stud stories. 27 short rides with the stud. Four Ask the Stud question and answer shows. The last 73 stud cast and every new one the day it is released. Subscribe now. YouTube Southeastern Rewind and be a part of the best old school channel out there. YouTube Southeastern Rewind is the gateway to ClassicContinentalWrestling.com, the stud's tremendous streaming channel. Now, over two more than 250 hours of classic wrestling entertainment, old school TV shows from Gulf Coast, Southeastern, Continental, and USA, all in the order which they were recorded. And that's the way it was intended. Classic continentalwrestling.com plus 19 chapters of Ron's audio version of his best-selling lion novel Brutus in Ron's voice six stars of the sport four superstars of the past and documentaries with something new every day all this for only $4.99 per month or $39.99 per year plus the free one-week trial is still available that's classic continentalwrestling.com it's the best deal in wrestling all right i can't wait to dive into may of 1979 in the next stud cast would you like the last word on this one stud yeah yeah i would dave uh yeah, as always man i want to thank each and every listener for being with us today uh and especially uh, welcome to those that are new and this may be their first time to hear us uh and i hope you've enjoyed the ride and please spread the word about what we do here day friends uh, and uh, neighbors and uh, take care of yourselves and others and may god bless us all for ron fuller in the great smoky mountains of tennessee i'm david summers saying thank you for listening find me at david summers productions at gmail.com this studcast is a david summers production for tennessee stud LLC. Thanks for joining us today for this historic studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. One, two, three. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.